Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 597 with Kyle Hilla. I just went out and did it. Like, I just did the job. And, and uh, you know, no job was too small. No, no job was too big. And so I went out and did the job. Didn't ask for any conversation because I knew it would prove something to them and would lead somewhere. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. You got to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system. Wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce. Wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry. This has helped them shape their product and its functionality through real-world feedback and rigorous testing. Wisetail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at Get bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Kyle Hilla. Kyle, are you feeling unstoppable? Today? I, I have never felt otherwise. (laughs) Yes. So Kyle Hilla hails from Mystique, Texas and has over 12 years of experience bartending. Hilla has been recognized as bartender of the year in 2016 and 2017 by both D Magazine and Culture Map Tastemakers Awards. Having crafted innovative well-balanced cocktails for Oak Cliff and Bolsa for five years, Kyle then moved to act as liquid architect for Turn the Tables Hospitality. Today, Hilla serves as beverage director for the Statler Hotel. Man, I cannot wait to dive into your story. I've heard some really great things about you. I know this is going to be a good one, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Okay. Dreams don't work unless you do. Mm, Dive into that. Yeah. Uh, So um, that actually kind of comes from a good friend of mine I, you know so I, I don't know who actually originally said it but she um, Victoria Cray she, she's in the hospitality industry here in Dallas and uh, 
it's something that she just lives and dies by and she's kind of like uh, when i heard that it just kind of clicked like you know you just constantly got to be working for your dream and or or it's just it's just something you'll never a- yeah. obtain i think that's a, a really important message to deliver to people especially younger people because we live in a world of instant gratification and we live in a world of we just react we want it now but really Success comes when you have that long game, when you have a vision, when you have a mission and you live and you sacrifice and you work for the dream, right? Yeah. So awesome way to get this thing started. Take us to where it started for you. When did you get involved in food and, be- food and beverage? So I got involved in, in Oak Cliff uh, at Bolsa um, and, you know, started serving there and just kind of fell in love with just. So to me, it's it, it's an instant gratification gratifying job like especially being a bartender like you make something you you, you hand it over and you just you're immediately gratified yeah. by the by the guest interaction right away yeah so uh i kind of i fell in love with it and then basically just uh you know craved it like i craved that interaction so your bartending gig or your your serving gig was your first food and beverage uh role at, at the oak cliff yeah that's how far how, how far back was that when did you get what, what year well, was this I'm, I'm sorry uh oak cliff was the uh is a little town oh uh, that balls of Gotcha. Lives in. Read yeah. that wrong. I yeah. apologize. No, you're good. So, um, 12 years ago, basically, going back 12 years, mm-hmm. we're looking at like 2008 or in seven, 2007. 2007, yeah. So, uh, what? I mean, we're just looking for some some cash. Where were you in life? Yeah. So, you know, I, and I think a lot of people come into this uh, job like for kind of the easy access to money um, on on a daily basis, and you know it knowing that actually transpires into like now moving into the management side because you got to understand like the people you're hiring and, and you know taking care of and what their mindset is but yeah I totally just like got into it it was like cool easy cash uh, but then really fell in love with it and was lucky enough to like work with some like crazy passionate people that uh, kind of instilled the same passion. Who were the crazy passionate people that come to mind? Uh, Graham Dodds so he basically he's one of the chefs here in dallas and he basically brought farm to table cuisine to dallas and uh i mean just an absolute powerhouse of a chef but like you know there there was no there was no not reaching his standard like Mm. it was his standard or or nothing so you know it was was very passionate dude so i also see a note in here about uh eddie lucky campbell oh yeah eddie quote unquote lucky campbell yeah so you know (laughs) one of your first influences so he was definitely one of my first influences on moving to the bar side so i was a server at at bolsa for for a while and he kept trying to get me to come be a bartender were these there. two guys on the same team Grim? Yep. okay mm-hmm. so let's dive into eddie lucky can wait who, who was your first influence who was the first one that really impacted you first i, I would say graham just okay. just just culinary wise i like i fell in love with his passion mm. for sure well, take us to what that passion looks like and what you believe from your perspective studying him what he had going on that that let him deliver on that standard and that passion well, so, you know, to be honest, some of that came out pretty angry, you know, okay. that some of that passion was, you know, came out pretty angry, like, especially during the lineup, you know, he, was, he uh, you know, there, there was no talking or anything during the lineup. Uh, but, you know, when you really dive into it, when you really were working with him, the reason why he was so passionate, he's telling us about these farms that he was working with. And these are farms that, like, he knows the farmers, they're, they're, they're his best friend. They're coming in and supplying the stuff. And he's gone there and worked at these farms. So, he understood what it took to get that arugula to the flatbread that we were uh, serving. So, yep. like, he, he understood the, the route that arugula went. And so, he, I mean, he was just super passionate about it. And he wanted, like, all of us to understand, like, 
what journey food takes to get to Why the is it plate. so important to, to communicate that to your staff, all this, these details? Because, you know, when you're that passionate and when you, like, go through those details, it, it translates to the guests. So, you know, there's so many steps that um, if you lose that passion, it, it'll never reach the guests. So starts at the farm, you know, and in different aspects. Of it. But if you're in culinary, like, it starts kind of at that farm, and then it goes to the chef and what the chef, how the chef preps it. Then goes to the staff, and then but the staff are the ones that are right in front of the the guests. Yeah. And so unless they see that, I mean, you can always print a farm name on a menu, but you know they're not really going to know that you know. Oh, hey, they've been growing red wattle pigs for the past ten years, and and you know th- this is the you know the food and grains they feed them, and how they get here, and what maturity you know they they get to before they're butchered and, yeah. and what cuts they are and so it's just it, it's just a process and i think if you take that along with you it really transpires to the guests absolutely and we i think we need that level of integrity in the things that we do it, it, when, when you have this level of passion down to the farmer when the farmer is so passionate and they do all these little they, they, they take the time to go through and, and to have the standards of their own why not communicate that standard to your, to your staff why not communicate that standard to your guests it, it tells the story behind the product it's not just a meal it's a story yeah and that story just makes it so much more it makes it taste better, in my opinion, when you know that there's something tied to this. It's not just it didn't just come from like the the H E B down the street. You know what I mean? I I, I 100% agree. Like you know, there there's always story behind everything. When you can really talk about it, it 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 just breathes passion when you're sitting down and eating it. Like you can like you can kind of feel it, and you're like you're just it's a it's a wow moment. If you're like if I go to a restaurant and and I get that kind of service and that kind of passion from somebody when I'm eating I'm I'm normally just wild by by the dish I'm eating. And anybody who's not in Texas HEB is a grocery store, a cult like <laughs> grocery store in Texas. Uh, but what else did you learn from uh, Chef Graham? Um, so I I learned. Um, you know, you can say pro- nothing. Pro- proper ways <laughs> to, there. yeah, yeah, uh, proper ways to, to be angry. You know, uh, so sometimes you learn from other people's mistakes. What but do you mean proper way? Is there yeah. a proper way to be angry? Yeah, you know, there's. Uh, I think there is actually. Yeah, I, I think so. So you know, uh, uh, Graham, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. Uh, but um, he still loves you. I yeah, I, I hope so. No, I mean, I, I love Graham Death, but yeah, he was uh, he was really angry back in the days. I've uh, there's actually still a, a mark in our um, in our food pass. Uh, from his butcher knife uh, from a New Year's <laughs> Eve when uh, uh, a certain server was uh, talking out of turn during his lineup and he just slammed slammed his butcher knife down and like created a huge hole in the, the past. Where is Graham in his career? Is he a, a young blood or is he a seasoned veteran of the industry? I, you know, he's a seasoned vet. So um, Graham, I mean, he's been all over the place, owned his own restaurant. He's doing some consulting right now. He, he actually opened the Statler with us as well. So he was our culinary director for the Statler. Nice. And uh, has moved on to like do just some phenomenal stuff but he's he's seasoned sometimes in the culinary in the hospitality world in such a transient industry you have people that are new and you gotta like you know prove that point like this is like in the one way to do is is with anger it's a good way to prove a point you can't stay at that level of anger all the time because you're just gonna get people that hate you but if you want to prove a point and you want to like set the standard it is the probably one of the fastest ways I mean, I'm not encouraging people to go around slamming butcher knives all over the place, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, there's always a, a means to an end, and, you know, re- regardless of uh, how it came about, um, no one's no one kept talking. Like, everyone <laughs> shut yeah. up. Okay. Yeah, this so, like, you know, that, yeah. So, message, like, message delivered. <laughs> message delivered. And yeah. then next thing you know, you see a lot of notepads coming out, and people are writing stuff down. So, like, you know, yeah. it, it uh, you know, it worked for them. So, 
you mentioned your other key mentor was Eddie Lucky Campbell. Uh, you were you started surfing, so what did he see? What was going on? How did this, how did this uh, mentor mentee ship end up happening? Yeah, so you know, uh, Lucky um, really kind of created the bar program uh, at Balsa with with Dub Davis and and um, and so many other just great bartenders, and so he he was looking for passionate people and, and hospitable people. And I, I was, I was that uh, at a very young age, you know, uh, just serving, but, um, I knew nothing about bartending. I, I never, again, at this time in my, in my mind, I'm like, this is just, you know, good, nice little paycheck. And, you know, I'm having fun while I do it, but you know, I'm going to school and doing other stuff. So, but he kept trying to get me to be behind the bar. He's like, come on, come on, come on. What do you think he saw in you? Uh, you know, I, I think it really was just like, it, it's the stuff that I look for nowadays. Like, Hey, he shows up on time. He's always has a smile. He's, you know, they're energetic and, and more sociable. And so, you know, I look for that stuff all the time. Like I have no problem with someone that like has absolutely no experience, but it has, has that attitude when they come into work. How long did it take you from the time you, you started to when he recruited you from behind the bar? Probably about a year. Okay. Yeah. Any key lessons about the industry during this first year? Because this was your first job. Yeah, well, not my first job, but like my first hospitality, hospitality yeah. job. Yeah, so um, you know, it was it was demanding. So like uh, it was like the fast paced stuff. But I would say the biggest lesson I learned during that time was the the slow periods and how how more important the slow periods were for for the restaurant success than than the fast periods. Just because so much would get. Uh, would fall through the cracks during the slow period. That's a huge point, and you see it all the time. I, I experience it all the time when I go out. If I'm <laughs> when I'm traveling, I eat a lot on the road, and it's always when it's like slow when I go places. I'm, I'll be sitting r- like right next to the server, and like my my glass will be empty, and I'm just like, you're literally standing right. You're next right to me. there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why do you think that happens? You know, I, you know, I think it's uh, I, you know, human nature to to breed on in, to breed on energy, right? Mm-hmm. And so. Um, you have this certain amount of energy going on in the restaurant. And I think that, you know, when you're prioritizing as like a server or a bartender or a barback or a busser, um, when it's really busy, like you, you have you're like, okay, I got to do this, this, and this. And you just like start knocking down the list. And then, um, when you don't have those things, you just like forget everything. I it's, think the it's, word it's, is complacency. Com- yeah. You just, yeah. you just like, oh, let me tell you about my night last night. And they just talk to, you know, the, the, the chef or you know another server and and everything just falls through the cracks yeah, so it's I took crazy a human, a human factors class in college uh as a when i was studying to become a commercial pilot and uh, there the, the the there's a chapter about um complacency and, and the importance of having a little bit of stress people are are at their best and they're most effective when they are a little bit stressed out because you're alert you're aware and that's when you're a little busy, you become like, oh, shit, like, I better not, I better not F up because, you know, uh, we're busy and it'll, it'll like multiply and, and spill over to other things. So what's your advice for that person uh, when it is slow to, to how do you how do you stay aware? How do you stay f- from getting complacent? So, uh, you know, I think you got to really constantly keep in mind of the guest perception when it when it's slow and stuff. And I think you just. You, you have to, it, it's tough and it's it's hard for anyone to do, but you just have to keep finding something to do yeah. that, that is that is productive. And I'm not saying that you, like, you can't have those conversations and build the morale with, with your fellow teammates, but you you have to like still be that. You that, can do that while you're moving. Yeah, you can do that <laughs> while you're moving. Yeah. And then just like, I can't tell you how many times like I 
like stop and have start having a conversation with somebody and then you know too many people just like will stay in a conversation and i'm kind of more one of those people like hey i want to keep this going but like i need to walk and do something like let's continue this on the move Mm -hmm. and so i'm more of those guys but then again like you also set that culture you set that pace when when you're that person that doesn't stand still but always communicate you communicate with your body and your actions more than you believe right yeah totally it's the low road of communication you don't even know what's happening um, so what? Let's bring it back to Eddie Lucky Campbell. Uh, he recruited you behind the bar. What was that? What was that first experience behind the bar like for you? So uh, you know he he was he was sly about it. So he actually uh, I kept saying no to the bar. Why? And why, uh, why, why no to the bar? So, Big money in the bar. Well, no. So this was a this is a neighborhood restaurant, okay. uh, farm to table, and the, the bar was great. And there's a lot of interaction at the bar, but uh, servers made way more money way more money really? at, at the table yeah we we're you know it was high ppa and i could you know run a six table section and walk out I, I would get there later leave earlier and walk out with an extra you know 100 150 bucks more than a bartender would ultimately uh, he recruited you so what what was the nail so he, he was sly he, he i kept saying no to him and uh he finally came up to me one day and he was like hey listen i got this um this project where I'm, I'm, I've basically been recruited to bartend at this art show and I just need, I just need some help. I just need some help. If you could just like have some hands and just help me out. And I was like, sure. I mean, we're good buddies. Like, yeah, I can help you out. And he, I was like, well, I'll be bartending. He's like, no, no, no. I just need your help getting things set up and maybe help. Bar backing. Yeah. Bar backing yeah. basically. Yeah. So we get there and it wasn't like that at all. Like <laughs> I get to his house and like, you know, next thing you know, he's like, come on, you need to help me make these syrups and all this stuff. And then we like pack everything up. We get to this art show and it was, it was like full on chaotic, uh, getting it all set up. But when the event started, like no one gave a damn about the artwork, no one. (laughs) And they were just huddled around the bar. And then it was just me and it was like the me and lucky show. Like we were, we were bartending and people were having a blast and they were all like huddled up and we're talking to people and I've never felt like such a such an energy and like fell in love with it. So it was the energy that made you fall in love. Were you hooked at this point? Was this was this like the 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 uh, catalyst that set you down on this path? Did you that, ever go back to serving? That was literally the switch. And so from then on, I, I got behind the bar and then just started bartending. Really, I mean, you mentioned the energy, but really, what was it specifically? If you can really kind of try to distill it and break it down, what was it that got you hooked? So you know, just going back to you know that instant gratification. Like I didn't know it then. I didn't know what the but. It was, you know, when making a drink and, you know, I don't think that, you know, so at that time still in, in Dallas, like we weren't a huge craft cocktail scene. So like for him to be doing craft cocktails at this random art show out of nowhere, I think even like the guest perception was like, wow, what is like, this is cool. And he was doing like these elaborate garnishes and stuff. So, you know, this is stuff that at that, at that time, no one in Dallas was really doing or seeing. And so I saw like this like wow factor from the guests and so like these smiles and these like big eyes like you know and they're like wow y'all are doing such such great things and I think it was that that like oh man that's again instant gratification yeah. and just like fell in love I mean, with we, it. We all are uh, unaware we're, we're, we're conscious of what we're tying ourselves to our psychographics and what people think of us when we're doing the thing and to be tied to something that's new and hot and happening and it's there's a sense of pride there that uh, you know to be tied to that is that do you think that maybe was playing into it oh totally i'm i'm 
crazy egotistical. So yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, no, one hundred percent want like everything to be about me all the time. So uh, Leo by any chance? Uh, no, Capricorn. Okay, I'm not sure. I'm, I, I don't follow those, but I'm not sure if that makes. I me, know yeah. I'm a Leo, and uh, supposedly we like the world to revolve around us sometimes. Uh, um, maybe that's why I started a podcast. Yeah. So anyway, you're like, hey, listen to my voice. <laughs> yeah, right. So. Um, how long were you with this 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 uh, this location this, this restaurant? Uh, so I was with uh, Balsa for six years. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're now we have five years. You know, one mm. year in, five years bartending here. How did you evolve as a bartender at this location? Um, it was a long, hard road. I bet. Uh, so the, you know, Balsa was um, a demanding bar uh, for what we were doing and and. Um, its status in in Dallas and in Oak Cliff as far as the the cocktail bar and you know they were one of the first to kind of really start doing craft cocktails uh, along with you know a couple other spots in Dallas but you know they were part of that leading uh, group and so to kind of take that on was a was a big responsibility and to kind of like hold that torch was you know huge so I mean it was a lot of pressure but it was uh you know there's a lot of a lot of stuff that uh, I learned great. Hey, I always I tell Lucky all the time. I was like, I learned a lot from you, but I learned more what not to do than to to do. So you know, <laughs> you know. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be uh, right back to dive into that last statement about what not to do. Your job as a restaurant owner or manager is to paint a picture of the job done right and to empower your employees with the tools and knowledge they need to excel. This is why you need to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system trusted by our industry's most recognized names. With Wisetail, quickly scale your training initiatives across all locations, empower your employees to take control of their own learning and professional growth, foster communication and engagement through their integrated training and communication tools and ensure long-term scalable success with the help of their best in breed client experience team. They'll take you from goal setting and implementation to ongoing strategy and best practices training to make sure you maximize your ongoing investment in your training and your programs. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. We're back and you just started talking about the things you learned not to do. Uh, were you talking specifically about our boy Lucky or? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, a little bit of both, you know, okay. so, uh, you know, uh, one thing. So Lucky eventually left and he, he moved on to open up his own bar. And I mean, uh, he just like skyrocketed into a career that was amazing um now the there was a lot that i and then i took over the bar uh, and became the bar manager and so when you're the bar manager like you're the head honcho you're running it and at that time i was even like closing down the restaurant like the gm left before me and i would you know took on a lot of responsibility so i kind of felt like the the head honcho for for a while and like you know, my shit doesn't stink. Like I'm, I'm, I'm it, and all this stuff. So big, a big ego back then. How old were you at this time? Uh, twenty three. Yeah, sounds 20, about right. 23, 24. Yeah, twenty three year old mentality. Yeah, exactly. I know, all the, I know everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can do no wrong. Um, but I, you know, one of the biggest uh, like uh, things that, that ever sh- happened. So uh, me and uh, my owner Christopher Silky. 
we're sitting in the bar at like 3 a.m. We d- just did all the money and everything, and we're just chatting. And, you know, he just got, like, numbers back. And he's like, bro, your liquor costs are just, like, crazy. And, you know, to this point, like, I've just been making fun cocktails and, like, you know, you know, just creating a, a good atmosphere. But I knew nothing of the business side of, mm-hmm. of the bar. And so he was, you know, we're trying to figure it out. And he's like, someone must be stealing or something like that. We're looking at this. And I was like, no, I, I mean, my, no, not my staff. They're not stealing. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, he turns to me and he's like, you know, we were free pouring everything back then. And uh, he's like, pour me an ounce and a half. Yeah, so now I've been a bar manager no for... No wonder why everyone loved your drinks so Yeah, much. so I've, it, at this time, I've been a bar manager for about a year now at, at Bolsa, and uh, which, you know, again, like, it was it was a it was a place to for craft cocktails, and their bar manager um, poured about a two-and-a-half-ounce pour. Wow. Um, and he's like, there it is. Like he's, And, you know, I quickly learned, I was like, you know what? Lucky taught me a lot. He never taught me any, like, counts or pours and anything like that, <laughs> like, ever. And so, like, I quickly learned, I was like, oh... Oh yeah, this is a, you know, I just did it off of like, yeah. you know, just randomness and. So, uh, keep going. Sorry, I cut you short. No, no, I I just kind of did everything off of a feeling and randomness and and so, um, you know, that was like the biggest first lesson for me of like, oh, you can't ever stop learning, like you, you know, yes, and yes. it was it was I was humiliated in front of my owner to like, you yeah, know, you were two years into this, three years into it, like. Yeah, but I've been like running the place. Like I've been like the guy, and like you know, it, it was uh, it was a big responsibility. But you know, this is something. You know, at this point, I'm like deeply passionate about this job, and like like I love bartending, and and you know, I was in in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna take bartending to the next level, and I can't even pour an ounce and a half. And so it was like it was really humiliating to do that in front of my my owner. But I know? think you're you're bringing up a really important point, and a lot of people. Uh, tend to go to, from one side of the spectrum to the other side of the spectrum when it comes to uh, systems, processes, procedures, protocols, and then the other side, which is uh, the, the human intelligence, the socializing and, and reading people and serving people and doing anything for people and, and, and just creating that, that experience, right? Uh, but you need both. You need to find that balance. You can't do it um, by going to one extreme to the other, you need to come. And it sounds like Lucky might have been really strong. He was the person. I mean, I'm making assumptions now, but with a name like Lucky as a nickname, I'm guessing he was socially and emotionally intelligent. Everybody loved him. He was the bartender's bartender. Oh, you, it, you nail on the head on that one. <laughs> Just like, and anyone will tell you that. So we used to make some jokes. So, you know, the bar would be busy. We'd be like three or four deep. We're making, you know, uh, drinks for like 150 plus seats. And it was maybe 80% cocktails coming out of that bar. And so very little beer and wine. And, uh, so we would have three bartenders. It was kind of a smaller bar wrap around, uh, like it doors opened up into the patio. And so we have three bartenders. I would run well and, uh, like a big section in front of me of people at the bar. And then we'd have someone at the point that's running like the whole point and most of the back bar. Um, Lucky and his greatness would run about the three girls that were sitting in front of him. And he, he would, <laughs> yeah, man, he owned it. He like, he had their attention all night and they loved everything. And like, he was the guy that like, you know, it's always the saying in this industry. Like if you do something bad, they'll tell 10 people. If you do something good, they, they maybe tell one person. Yeah. He was the guy that like people left and they talked about and like made sure they told something good about but 
trust it. Like on a Saturday night, uh, me and the other guy were definitely taking care of like 350 drinks coming <laughs> in the well, and he definitely took uh, like 12. But you know, he did it with a show, yeah, which is great. There's some, there's some, uh, there's definitely truth to that. But at the same time, you need all aspects, and to have that person, that's that's your hype guy, that's your cheerleader, that's the person that people love. And maybe you can't be good at everything, right? There's some freaks out there, yeah, who, who are just freaks of nature, and they just like a, the one-stop shop. Put me in any situation, I got you. But you know, for for what he lacked, he made up in uh, uh, rapport. Right? Oh yeah, and, just and, and you need that. He was charismatic. I mean, he he brought like a and just going back to the energy, like he brought amazing energy. I mean, he was hit to this day. He's still known for it. Uh, he loves standing on top of bars and like doing a speech, like shutting down the entire bar and like, hey, listen to me real quick and like making a speech. And uh, but he's super passionate and super just. Uh, um, I humble's not the word for sure, but like, he just, he, he was super emotional with, uh, all the guests that come in and like, he, he just loved, loved it. Did he know? ever give you a, uh, like a, like a secret of the trade on, on how to read a person or how to, uh, you know what I'm saying? Something that like only like a, a bartender who's been doing this in the industry for a while would know, like a, I don't know where I'm going with this, but like anything on that, that side of the spectrum of the emotional and social intelligence, like a trick of the trade that he taught you that you can share with us. Um, so, you know, I would say more, more than anything. And one thing that I've, I've done well in my, my career is just really without having that actual conversation with them, just picking up of like what they do. Like it's all about watching someone. If you ever want to learn from someone, just watch them. Like you don't need to actually like sit down and get a mentorship from somebody. Like you can watch somebody do their job and, and pick up some stuff. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it was, it was to, to me, it was his first interaction with, with the guests. It was immediate. It was passionate and it was energetic. It was like, as soon as they sat down, you know, they might be like, you know, you know, he always kind of lived on this, this standpoint. You never know like how someone's day is. You, people come to the bar when they're sad. They come to the bar when they're celebrating. They come to the bar, uh, when they just had like a rough day. So like, you know, you never know what kind of aspect someone is when they come in. But like, as soon as they sat down, he was like, Hey, welcome to, welcome to Bolsa. Thanks for coming in here. Here's a couple of menus. Like my name's lucky. If you ever need anything, just, you just let me know. And it was just like, it was just that first interaction that, uh, you know, I strive to put into all, all my staff nowadays. Like that first interaction is so important. First impressions. Man. Yeah. That's what sets the pace for the rest of the experience. Uh, so I think we've been talking a lot about the emotional and social side of things, which is a huge aspect of being a bartender. What have, and you started, you, you touched a little bit on like the, the more boring but necessary systems, processes, procedures, standards, right? Um, where did you really start to learn that? Because you first had your, your first like break into it after a couple of years of managing, but when did you really start to uh, elevate that aspect of your game? So I, I really elevated that directly after I was leaving Bolsa. So uh, same ownership, uh, they, they created a new concept called the Theodore. And they were like, hey, we want you to kind of go there and, and run that. And so um, that was like, what you know, year was this? this was, ooh, two, let's see, it's probably been about four years from now. So like 2008 okay. or, or no, no, 2014, sorry. Okay, uh, gotcha. um, but, um, you know, so it was a big concept. And, but it was the first time I'm really like sitting down with the owner's table and going through uh the numbers that they were going through, like talking about costs and percentages and, you know, just different mindsets and, and of like, 
how they want to sell things, what they want to sell the most of. And then I really started like diving into like, you know, just different, different groups of thought with, uh, other professionals in, in the area of like, you know, you always kind of want your, your best cost cocktail to be the, the most bought. So you can like charge less for, you know, the, the, the you know the fun cocktails that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that um probably cost a little bit more on your end those kind of things so um it, you know i i dove into that being being able to have a seat at that owner's table really and and kind of and some of my ownership did really great is uh they kind of let let you have a voice even if you're young and stuff they they always let me have a voice so dive into i've heard that approach before making mm-hmm. like you, menu engineering basically is what you're talking about yeah. can you break that down a little bit more can you get a little bit more specific if that was the first time anybody listening to this ever heard of playing with uh you know that that strategy can you just yeah break to- it out? totally so you know it's um you know it's different everywhere so you can look at uh you know uh Dallas is is what I know best, right? And so um, we're not a rum town. Like we don't sell a lot of rum. Yep. You know, you go to Portland or somewhere like that. Like I mean, they're going to go through a lot of rum now. Go to rum, Miami if you want the rum. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know, it's it's weird because rum is is really cheap and you can make a lot of money on it, but it's not going to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so it so it's kind of null and void on a, on a menu here in Dallas. Uh, what sells is bourbon, tequila, and vodka. Okay. Um, and so th- those are high marks. So you so you want to kind of create a menu, knowing that those whatever three cocktails you have with bourbon, tequila, and vodka, those are going to be your most sold, right? Mm-hmm. And so you will kind of want to like, um, for the most part, and ninety percent of the time, your your vodka drink that's going to be a little bit more fruit forward is going to be your number one sold cocktail, um, at least in most of the menus that I've ever created. And so you kind of want that percentage. Uh, on the drink the cost on on it so if it costs me you know 82 cents to make and i i can charge you know nine dollars for it because it looks good and tastes good um i'm making a lot of money on that well that's gonna allow me to take the bourbon cocktail with you know two ounces of bourbon and you know some other like really cool ingredients and something to be kind of more of a showstopper and something that someone really appreciates uh, for that's really into craft cocktails and stuff, not someone just going out and having a drink. Yep. Um, I can charge, you know, where that drink might cost me like two dollars and forty cents, and I'm, you know, charging nine dollars for. Obviously, I'm not making Small the same market. percentages, but um, it balances out. So you, you make up in volume. Exactly, you make up in volume. So you might get, you know, an eight percent cocktail that's sold a lot, and then you got like a. 25% cocktail that's not yeah. sold as much and you, it bounces out. Yeah, you hear that all the time. People be like, oh, like this is our biggest money maker because if we sell the most of it and then you like look into the, do the menu engineering, you realize your margins are shit and then you're really, you're not making, you're making just as much. Yeah. So why not bump the margins on that to, to you know, or bump the margins on something else to make up for it, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, you mentioned too that these guys helped you realize the importance of giving your people a voice. Why is that so important? You know, so it, it, it makes, it allows people to be invested in it, you know? So, and I think that that's important, especially in this day and age when, you know, uh, you know, I'm a millennial and, um, you know, there's, there's that mentality of like people want to, you know, I'm finding it more and more, especially with a lot of staff that I'm, I'm working with, like people want to feel invested. They want to feel like they're, they're doing something and, and, and changing something positive uh, at their place of work. So, um, I think that that's really what it's kind of all about. It's like giving them a voice allows them to put their stamp on their work and like 
they take more pride on like their uniform and like coming in on time and all the small things uh they they start doing a lot lot better because you know they're they're just excited to get in there and and make the change. Yeah, you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The bottom is your most basic needs: food, shelter. Above that, it's security. Like, okay, I can pay my bills. Above that, it's belonging and feeling like you're loved. And when you give people a voice and you feel like they're they, they feel like they're contributing and they're they're seen, they're recognized. You tap into that that next level of need, right? Yeah, uh, super important. Uh, what else? What else did you learn at the Theodore that was like the the next evolution for you? So, uh, you know, the next big thing so it was weird so it was a different um something that my owners always did and this was my first chance to be a part of it they they they'd open multiple concepts while I was at Bolsa um, and what they're really known for is creating very vastly different concepts they don't do the same thing twice like they okay. you know they they had a um, a little kind of really awesome like upscale barbecue joint then they did um, a live music venue and a beer in a shop place and then they did uh, Bolsa which is farm to table and so we opened up this spot at the Theodore and um, so I really got to not only learn like the the difference of so many different concepts, um, especially later on during this, right after I took Theodore, I kind of took over everything in, in that organization uh, as far as the beverage side. Um, and I got to realize like what the target market for each place is. So then the, there's a whole different thought process when you're really cultivating for a target market. So when I kind of went into the Theodore, I made some mistakes of like thinking it's the same target market as, you know, my cocktail bar in, in Oak Cliff. And it was, it wasn't that we, we were up in uh, North Park mall and we were like one of the stores and um, you know, most mall restaurants are very chain oriented and uh, this particular mall was trying to get something new and fresh and something that they haven't seen before. And that's how we ended up there. And, uh, but um, what I quickly find found out, you know, I gave, drinks like weird names um and so uh it was named after the the restaurant was named after theodore roosevelt so i named all the drinks after national parks since he kind of created that whole deal of like you know preserving national parks um uh, you know so i learned a couple things one uh when people read yosemite a lot of times they say yosemite and then two (laughs) um that uh people just don't understand it they want to like look at it at least in that concept they wanted to look at a a drink and it just say uh, raspberry mojito instead of uh, Yosemite. You know, yeah. they, they really wanted like it spelled out for them in the title. So and that, the lesson was don't, it's good to have that level of creativity where you're on brand, right? But you don't want to make it confusing. People want to know what they're putting into them. And, and they want to know right off the bat. They want to be able to look at a menu. They don't want to, you know, and, and so you can dive into this further. It's like, so you really got to look everything from the guest perspective. So as soon as you walk in, uh, you know, you're with friends or family or whatever. Maybe you're just there for like a quick lunch break, but you go in, you're looking at the menu. You don't want to, you're not there to like spend all your time reading the menu. You're there to interact or you're there yeah. to, um, you know, be a part of a conversation with somebody. So the last thing you want to do is spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes trying to figure out the menu. Yeah, it's a resource to communicate what your decision is going to be. 100%. You want, you want there to be a path of least resistance, right? Yep. To make, to spend money, right? Uh, and I just, you must know Justin Elliott. Yeah. Yeah. Now. So Justin Elliott was on the show uh, when I was in Austin. I got him back on the show to do a deep dive on his creative process on creating an, uh, a cocktail menu. So it was really interesting. We kind of talk, talk about how you need to be on brand. 
and you need to think of every element of the restaurant and does it does it a lot does your cocktail menu align with what you're trying to do but also you need to be able to communicate and not make it confusing like you might have a really sweet bitters or whatever but does your does your guests care about all the ingredients in the bitter no they just want to know what it's going to taste like exactly yeah, yeah they awesome. they don't care yeah, <laughs> for it. the most part so uh more on like you and your path and how you created these opportunities from yourself. Uh, you said that now you're kind of you're running the show for all the restaurants. So you, what what happened? What did you do? What advice do you have for somebody who's trying to climb the ladder? Yeah. So, it, you can't ever be complacent. Like you know, I I kept pushing uh, the owners and I'm like kept looking for the next big thing. You know, and I I always knew they were doing big bigger things. They they have great big ideas. So you know, part of me was lucky to be a part of a group that was growing with me. Um, but at the same time, like I was, I was ambitious. I was, you know, I was hungry. I, you know, I kept telling them like I could do more, you know, and, and, you know, I kept going into work and, you know, showing them on the, the small end of things of like, um, making sure my costs are in line, making sure that my staff's in line, making, you know, that constant training process, you know, that was my way of showing them. I, I can do more. I can. I handle this, and I can. I can handle more. So what I'm getting there is, if you want more, show them that you can handle it. Don't don't just ask for it. Do it. Treat it like you own it. Do the things that the owner would do. And if you treat it like you own it, and you pay attention to all the details, they're gonna notice. They're, they're, you're gonna make their life easier, right? When they when you can make the life of other people easier, they're gonna want some more of that, right? So yeah. why not give you the opportunity to make their life it, even easier? And it's not just that. Like you know, I I, I encourage people to um, do more than what your job is without asking for any compensation for it. And, uh, you know, I, I find that a lot where someone's like, hey, I can do this for you. Um, I see you're stressed and you got a lot of stuff going on. I, I can take this on for you. You know, you, would you be willing to pay me for it? Um, and then there's what my what I grew up with and what I did was uh, I just went out and did it. Like, yeah. I just did the job. And, yeah. and uh, you know, no job was too small. No, no job was too big. And so I went out and did the job, didn't ask for any conversation because I knew it would prove something to them and would lead somewhere. Yeah. You're reminding me of the book. It's a great book. It's called The Go. You might have heard the expression, The Go-Getter. Yeah. Right. Well, what about The Go-Giver? So this book is called The Go-Giver. And it's basically what you're talking about. Uh, don't go out and get things. Go out and give things. Go, be, go provide value. Give value. Be generous. And when you give the natural order, the, 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 the literal natural order, it's, it's a pendulum that's back and forth. When you give, you give so much, the natural order is the pendulum is going to swing back. And that's when you, that's when you take, right? That's, yeah. when, that's, when, that's when you get, is when you've given and the, the, the natural laws take over and say, okay, we're going to reward you. But you've got to give before you get a sacrifice. You've got to give before it. you get. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, all right. Uh, when you said you were paying attention to the owners, um, what were you looking for? What were you paying attention to? Um, so I, I was paying attention to, you know, everything that they were doing. And so, um, and, and kind of more or less the, their thought process on things. I've, I've had some, you know, I've had some, uh, a lot of drunken nights with these owners. Yeah. I've had, uh, a lot of morning meetings with these people and we're talking about, you know, different things, but you know, I, I'm looking at like what's important to them and, and why it's important to them. So, you know, and, and they taught me a lot of you know, one about, you know, treating each concept individually and target market individually, but also, you know, how to capitalize on that. And so, you know, different, you know, everyone does a happy hour, right? And so, but how do you like really capture your 
target audience for that. Okay. Um, we're going to get into that. Okay. Uh, perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I'm just pausing. Cause I'm trying to think of a, a train of thought. We've covered a lot. This is great. Mm, yeah. I just want to make sure we, uh, where we at for time. Yeah, we're good. We're good. I also, I know we probably want to talk about the next evolution, which is where we're at now. Mm-hmm. So how do you capitalize on a happy hour or how do you make it profitable? Any, I mean, you already told us about the, you know, uh, the menu engineering, but, uh, what about uh, events, right? In programming. So, um, you know, it, on the bar side, this can get really tricky. And it, and I had a lot of, lot of fails before I succeeded at this. Um, so you want to create something that's interesting. But I, I find that a lot of uh, young bar managers uh, tend to lean on their their reps too much. And so they're different liquor reps to like, oh, hey, I'll come and do a spin and like, We'll like, you know, you promote this and we'll do this happy hour, whatever. At the end of the day, those, those really don't really pan out. Well, they're uh, also looking after their own interests. Like they're going to throw their liquors and whatever they're trying to push onto your menu. So, totally. Yeah. It, to, at the end of the day, uh, how to make a happy hour work is get asses in the seats. So how do you do that? Yeah. So you, you, there's different ways. So, um, also we had this great thing every Wednesday we did a cocktail challenge. And so we, uh, you got to get people engaged. So there we did this, uh, and they still do it to this day. And it's a lot of fun. Um, they went out on Facebook and they had a lot of followers and they just, they asked them to, uh, submit, uh, ingredients, whatever they wanted, like whatever ingredient they wanted. And we would shoot a video every Wednesday of, a, of the bartenders drawing out different ingredients and we'd create cocktails with those ingredients that night and then just sell them all for five bucks. And uh, so I think price matters. And then, you know, again, like now you've given, you know, you constantly give your staff a little bit of ownership. Now you've given your guests a little bit of ownership yeah. of the place, right? Well, you're bringing that, you're making them a part of it. They're feeling like they had an influence and it's not just they're being acted on, but they're, you're doing it with them. Yeah. Right? That's so, cool. Any other cool little nuggets like that? Yeah. So, um, you know, so here at the Statler, we, we do a, we do kind of a, a happy hour, but it, it's interesting here. So we have, you know, so many different concepts. So it's interesting, like we have so many different target markets. So like, how do you do a, a, a happy hour here and, and get people here and get them excited here? Um, it was pretty easy. We just were like, all right, just screw it all. We'll just half off everything. The, the, you know, the Wagyu steak, half off. Whole duck, half off. Uh, your $800 shot bourbon, half off. Like, it doesn't matter how allocated it is. doesn't matter how rare it is. doesn't matter how expensive it is. We're going to do half off because at the end of the day, we just want people here because uh, we know it's going to, you know, one, it's it's going to get them excited about the place and it's going to get them in here. But they'll, they'll revisit, you know, they'll, they'll come back. I mean, you can't create loyalty if they never come in in the first place. Correct. Right? So what you're just saying is you you've got to sacrifice again. You've got to give mm-hmm. before you get, you've got to make so much value that they, they're like, why wouldn't we go? Everything's half off. And then, then once they're in the, the butts are in seats, you develop the relationships. You, 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 you do all the things that, like that you would normally do, but you do it to like, just know. the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Well, I mean, we just like, let's go big or go home. Right. Exactly. And so that's, that's what we did here. So there's, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of different, uh, aspects, uh, you know, lucky does this really cool, uh, happy hour, um, where anytime it rains, he does a happy hour. Okay. And so, and it gets people into it's a his, trigger. It's a trigger. Right. You and know, so, and anytime it rains, people are like, Oh, Hey, they're going to be yeah. doing a happy hour. You know, that trigger thing is really important. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember the, the name. There was this marketer or like a uh, advertiser and I can't remember his name, but he was like a genius in the, in the industry. And he was a person that uh, coined the, 
the uh, tartar on your teeth. Really? You know, like, or the plaque. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. The plaque on your teeth. Uh, and uh, that feeling, and that was the trigger. So whenever you feel that on your teeth, like, that's bad. And that was his way of getting people to buy toothpaste back in the day before it was a habit. Oh, no so kidding. Like that, <laughs> so, like, that's the little thing. When you can think of a trigger, and then you can tie a trigger, a, a, a reoccurring standard trigger that hasn't been selected by another bar or whatever, tie that, or whenever it snows, come in half off or exactly. whatever, right? Uh, we do that a lot up north. Uh, yeah, not, not so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we haven't. Yeah. Yeah, that, that program would not work. <laughs> not right? oh, oh, man, you said something that, um, oh, the half off. So, you can't do that forever. You can't do half off forever yeah we can you can yeah how do you make money uh you know so what we've noticed just being open at this hotel for the past year uh, and different concepts we're we're mainly a late night spot and so most of our sales are coming in from uh especially at the bars are coming in from 10 p.m to 2 a.m every single day and so you know when we're looking at our business business plan our business market is like well how do how do we fill up the the happy hour time like how do we how do we get people here and so we're we're already set for the the late night we're already set there um and it will again like happy hour does have an end time you know and people hang out like you come for happy hour you you stay for the fun right and so that's the that's you know we we truly believe that and the great thing about this particular concept of Statler is because there's so many different places to go, you know, so like, uh, you know, we have a speakeasy, we have a rooftop pool bar, we, we have like this bowling lounge, kind of sports, uh, uh, bowling lane, sports bar, ping pong, all this stuff. So you have so many uh, very different places. So, it, you know, maybe the speakeasy draws in the, the cocktail lover. But that cocktail lover still wants to go up to Waterproof and, and check out the, the rooftop pool bar. They still want to, like, go and, like, play a game of pool. Uh, they still want to go to Fine China and check out, like, you know, the, the Cantonese roasted duck, you know. So um, for us, you know, just getting them to come here uh, from, you know, between 4 and 6 for happy hour, cool. It's all half off, but they're going to go to another place. They're gonna, and they're going to, like, kind of do a little, like, bar hopping in our own establishment. Interesting. Um, all right, so we've covered a lot up to this point. We haven't even talked about the next opportunity in your life, which is where you are now, the Statler. What was that transition like? Why make this transition? So it, it was interesting. So we were, you know, my group was uh, starting this the, at the at the Theodore. That group uh, ownership was coming over to do a bigger project, uh, which is now the Statler. At the time, the the hotel wasn't even open. It was. Uh, you know, this hotel had been shut down for 20 years. They were doing a lot of construction on it, and they, they spent a lot of money to, to revamp it and bring it back to life. Um, so we got the opportunity to be the, the food and beverage part of it, and, which was really exciting. Who's uh, we? So um, it's, that's Epic F&B. That's, that'd be the ownership group I have. So, uh, you know, Todd Conger is, is our, like, owner-director. This, this guy is, like, the epitome of, um, of you know, working up in a place so he like started as like a bartender at uncle julio's and then worked his way to ceo of the company and so uh you know big uh, big on like promoting uh within kind of deal um and then you have you know the turntable guys which i worked for and they're they were like concept guys they they did fun unique concepts and everything and then there was another group with plan b uh, and they do a lot of consulting for a lot of restaurants and they own a few other restaurants of their own and they're they're just like they understand the the mind process of 
the customers. Uh, they understand the human behavior. just human behavior. They understand design and this the wow factor. So you know, uh, each they all kind of got together and we like created you know what is now Epic F and B. And so we came onto this project. Now at that time, I was actually. Um, Looking at, I was I was still inter- even though I was from the other ownership group, uh, um, I was still interviewing for this position. But I was also looking at other places, and you know, we had a lot of cool spots opening up in Dallas. So, um, and I wasn't totally sold on this place at first because downtown Dallas wasn't necessarily the biggest thing, and it's just now going through like this really awesome growth spurt. So I was like, oh, I was a little worried. Like, you know, I knew the weekends would be good, but. How do you fill it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, which is always the important thing in the restaurant, right? So um, I was looking at some places up north and like this really awesome food hall they they opened up. Uh, Another group opened up and I was kind of interviewing with them. Um, But it wasn't until I did the initial walkthrough when this place was fully under construction. I actually, to believe it or not, fell in love with the architecture. Like walking through this place, the history of it, like I fell in love with that part. And it's like, this would just be a fun, cool place to work and something cool to like be a part of. I just wanted to be a part of it. Interesting, man. I love it. Um, It's crazy to think we're already at at over 50 minutes of recording time. Uh, Anything that you were hoping we would discuss? Anything that you were hoping you could bring to the table to add value to this conversation? No, I I mean, honestly, I'm just really glad I got to talk about myself for 50 minutes. That was was really my only point to this. I really wanted to just talk about myself and listen to my voice. (laughs) Uh, I like to ask all my guests, something I started asking all my guests is, you know, the mission statement to Restaurant Unstoppable is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Uh, So how have you transformed who were you 12 years ago and who are you today how have you uh, grown because of this industry so um to you know to me uh hospitality is an industry it's a way of life mm. and i think that that's what like changed well, what is hospitality to you so hospitality to me is is basically like changing someone's life for the better without them ever really knowing that it or here this is why I tell like my staff let me put it in a different way so I tell them like you know go out of your way to do something good for someone without them knowing you went out of your way mm. that's hospitality that's yes. like true hospitality dude you are like oh man you're singing yeah. uh, like love songs <laughs> into my ear right now uh, I have a way I, I actually literally said this to somebody last night I can't remember who it was I said how do you gauge hospitality if you feel like it's inconvenient to you the more of an inconvenience it is to you to do the thing that this person's asking you to do the more hospitable you're being right but you don't have to let them know you just do it but that's how you can gauge whether or not you're being hospitable is this an inconvenience? Yes. Good. Do it because that means it's not. It's it's the unexpected. Right? Yeah. And, and that will show your generosity. If you look up the definition of hospitality in the the dictionary, it's neighborliness, warmth, generosity, caring. We don't think of these words right away when we think of hospitality. We think of like making money in hotels. Yeah, the, totally. Hospitality is a way to be, and that's why you started saying, mm. "I look at hospitality as a way of life." Uh, Take that thought. That's where I cut you short. Like yeah. Accent. Um. So, uh, you know, hospitality is a way of life. It's 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 you know, so something happened at Bolsa, and this was like my first true trigger into hospitality. I, I was at lunch, and Bolsa's like right next to um, a hospital, not too far down the street. And this um, the server comes up to me, and it's during lunchtime. We're not that busy. Uh, he was like, hey, can you make a, an Irish coffee? And we didn't, uh, I wasn't fully set up for it um, to make it, because it was, it was during the summertime, which I felt was a little weird. And I was like, uh, yeah, but um, uh, I was like, 
you know, do they want like a Bailey's Irish coffee? Do they want like a real one with some like fresh whipped cream? He's like, oh, I'll find out. And he's like, you know, oh, they want just a little Bailey's and some hot coffee. And I looked and I actually had just ran out of Bailey's. So I was like, oh, and uh, I just told the server, I was like, hey, just tell them, give me a second. I'm going to, I'm going to make them like this amazing Irish coffee. It's just going to take me a minute. And so I went back and I made some like fresh whipping cream and like really did this thing up and, and I brought it to her and, um, and she loved it. Now it wasn't until after she left, she left this huge note and, uh, you know, you never know how you change someone's life. So she, she had happened to be, um, uh, a, um, a leukemia patient down the street at the hospital and uh she did not have much longer to go and that's actually so that's why she was really wanting hot coffee you know your your blood's thinned out and you you get really cold when you have leukemia and so um that's really why she wanted it. and she she was blown away with um you know how effortlessly we we made that for her without like creating a like oh uh, you know that yeah. whole little i hate it when like i ask for something and someone's like oh uh, yeah just a second you know yeah. one of those you know she 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 so she wrote this huge note and i mean it brought tears to my eye and it was it was you know in, inspiring to me and like i was like man you just never know who's coming in you never know how you're going to change someone's you know perception of life or anything like that and yeah, you know it's, it's possible in this industry you it know, really we were, is yeah we were just talking about the trigger right mm-hmm. and that uh is the trigger yeah right? that when you feel that coming on fucking stomp it out because that is your opportunity to go above and beyond and like you said you never know when you're going to change somebody's life awesome stuff man and, and on that note thank you for being hospitable to me mm-hmm. warm generous and just uh taking the time to be a part of this conversation i've, I've loved it up to this point we're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back for a quick speed round so revel systems is a complete pos built to help grow your expanding business i stand by revel and i can tell you why it's so great but i'd rather get my man colton schultz who's with grain junction subs in the craft cave to tell you why he loves revel we have been working with revel for several years who has partnered with us to streamline our operations we have implemented delivery management employee management sales reporting kitchen display screens and so much more we also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable nice so if there's just one thing that you love the most about Rebel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurant's hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at get 
bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. We're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, you know, I think it's adaptability. Um, it, it has, the hospitality industry is ever-changing. It is constantly evolving, and, you know, and the expectations from your guests are constantly changing and evolving. So I think being able to adapt, and, and you know, I think it keeps you hungry. I think it keeps you... Uh, you know, we kind of talked about being complacent. I think it keeps you away from that. And I think that, you know, being able to like constantly like go and change and, and not be afraid of that is, is very important in this industry. What is your biggest weakness? Um, I, so, and, and my boss will tell you right, right off, I have an eagerness to be right. Like I have a, <laughs> just a necessity to where like, I always have to be right. Um, now to, to be fair, I'm usually right, uh, but <laughs> uh, so, but you know the, you know what he points out, it and it is true, and you have to look at it. Is um, I, I tend to make things very black and white when I, because I like I have to be right, you know, and so I make things very black and white. And what you lose is you lose the the ability to listen to someone with with a in the gray area of like a solution and you lose the ability of like possibly coming up with a better solution in a better way or better thing around. Uh, whatever problem is in front of you. So, um, yeah, I have a huge necessity to be right. Yeah, I think yeah. Danny Myers, uh, if you if you look up Danny Myers, doesn't matter if you're right. Uh, I think there's a, an article that he wrote just on that. It just doesn't yeah. matter. At the end of the day, you just take care. Like, you know, come to a, come to an agreement, right? Um, I don't have to say anything else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is the one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? So, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm like looking at somebody or interviewing somebody, uh, you know, the, the one thing I always like to talk to them about is their past jobs and, and how they talk about those past mm, jobs. So I always, so I'm, I'm looking to see like, so very rarely have, you know, um, especially like if they've only been there for a few months, they've had a good experience their last job. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the person that had a bad experience at a previous job and how they speak about it. Yes. And so like, do they just like completely like True tear colors. them apart right. and stuff like that? Or do they like, Hey, this, you know, I, I, I tried it. It just really wasn't a good fit. I really wanted it to be a good fit. Um, but there was just some like, you know, they're, they're, I don't want to speak badly yeah. about anybody. Yeah, and yeah. so you know, I think that I think that takes a, a intellectual person to be able to like you know separate those things because at the end of the day, especially in in uh, an industry that's constantly opening new spots, and when you are opening new spots, it, it's very stressful, and you know things fall through the cracks on the management team. Like I've been a part of it. I've been the reason for a lot of that stuff. So um, the people could have left working for me and like talked a bunch of crap about it but then the day like it'd be able to like look at that and be like yeah you know it just just wasn't all fitting is a much better way about it and, and you know another thing i always look at and this is uh, something one of my owners taught me is uh people's phone screen um so if you look at someone's uh screen on their phone and and it's like all cracked up you know it, it's it, it tells you something so now it's not everything uh it could have just happened or whatever but uh for the majority like nowadays people's phones are their like whole lives right yeah and so if if you can't like go and fix your phone like what kind of control do you have yeah. over your life another so it's just a thought process yeah, right? somebody has recommended something similar to that go look at their car oh you know, yeah when they no get totally there, when they get there like find out where they park like hold on i need to run in my car real quick 
and make just go outside and look inside their car. If their car is a pigsty, then you have an idea of who you're dealing with. Yeah, 100%. Yes. Uh, sh- what is your, your current biggest challenge? You know, I, I think it's is staffing the hospitality-driven uh, people. And so it's, um, you know, so, like, I, I was the victim of this. I just happen to love the industry, and I happen to be a little bit hospitable just from, you know, uh, my the way my parents like raised me and stuff like that but you know a lot of people come in this industry just for the, for the paycheck and just mm-hmm. for the money and and not have that hospitality background so it's really trying to you know you know we spend a lot of money training people uh, you know bringing them on and onboarding people so you know it's really like being selective of like who you're bringing on and do they ha- do they share the same passions and they share the same beliefs that the company does and so I think that's the hardest part. It's hard to be selective in an industry where there's so few to select from. One hundred percent. Yes. yes. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a way to be, a way to act, core value. So you know the biggest thing, and I, I ha- I'm kind of known for this test I do, and I've I have never had anyone pass this test, and it, it's all based around guest perception. You didn't so, do it on me when I got here. Did you? N- no, but I, I bet if I did it on you, you you would not pass. <laughs> okay. um, so it's all based around guest perception, and I, I first learned this at. at so like uh, it, it was a weird layout of the place because it was just like an old uh, firehouse kind of garage place. And the host stand actually like is behind a, a table section. And so there's seats right in front of it. And, and, you know, so people would always like come in and they would like look around and the host would be there and they would just say hi. But you're it was too far away for them to hear it. Yeah. And so like the guy, people would like come in and just go seat themselves. And then I'd, I would sit there and listen to the host bitch like, oh my God, I can't believe they went and sat themselves. I'm like, well, you know, one, like it's not like we have a host stand up front. It's literally behind a table. What restaurant do you ever go to? And there's a host stand behind a table. <laughs> yeah. Like, so from there, you got to look from their perception. Yeah. So I do this, uh, it's all about timing. I do this deal and I, I sit uh, bartenders and servers down and I give them a menu and I tell them to, I say, hey, uh, I'm going to start a timer on my phone. I just want you to kind of look over the menu and you tell me when it's been two minutes. Hmm. And I have never had someone make it two minutes and tell me it's been two minutes. They've always done it roughly somewhere around the 45 second range. And so uh, it, I think it's important to understand that um, there's, not a, there's not a true time in restaurants. So it's all about guest perception of time. Uh, how long, so if they waited 10 minutes for... Uh, their drink they actually to them they waited like 20 25 yeah, minutes yeah and, and when you're waiting time goes by slower people have done studies and they show that your perception of time speeds up when you are waiting yeah yep. and, and so you know I you know I tell people like you know oh this, when they tell me oh this person like you know they just sat down like you know five minutes ago and like I just greeted them, but now they're all mad. I'm like, yeah, it's been five minutes to them. It's been like 15 minutes. Yeah. I'd be pissed too. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's so important in your, your SOPs, your standing operating procedures, uh, your, your bottom lines, whatever you want to call it. You put in like when somebody comes, like you have 30 seconds to greet them. Right. And that 30 or even less than that. And then you have another 45 seconds after that to bring them water or whatever, because in their mind, it's been an eternity. Yeah. Uh, You got to get that kind of stuff in writing for sure. Uh, What is, one uncommon standard of service you teach your team. I I love the um, shaking the hand uh, before you drop a check, and so like um, I I think that that kind of brings this like human on human interaction yeah. that that is often missed, um, and I think it like you know it's it's not always about like 
hey, I'm, I'm, it takes out the, the, the servant uh, identity of, of being a server. Like, you know, you're not there just to, you know, you're there for connections, right? Yeah. And so, like, I, I tell my bar staff, especially down in Bourbon and Banter, because it's, it's all about, you know, guest interaction. Um, when you're, like, going to take the check, like, you know, reach out for, with a handshake and say, hey, thank you, Mr. Johnson. I appreciate you coming in yep. and then drop and then, one last yeah. impression before they put that tip amount on. There, exactly. Right? <laughs> and it, it usually helps yep, yeah. for sure. Uh, what is one book that will make us a better person or restaurant or bar operator? So, you know, the, the biggest book that actually helped me and it was just like mainly helped me cultivate my skills and a chef gave it to me at first. And I've, I've owned probably about 10 copies of this book because it keeps getting stolen, but is the flavor Bible. Mm. Love that book. Like, I, yeah, man, just Past guests on the show, by the way. Awesome. Oh really? Yeah. She yeah. was great. Uh, what was the big lesson from that book? You know, so I, I think it was, um, you know, it helped me with seasonality, helped me with, you know, putting flavors together, but also just, it, it, it helped me like, just construct uh, flavors and and you know design a, a cocktail that made sense. You know, a, a lot of times you know you can kind of just like go out there and it kind of rein me back in. And I think that's important. Um, they have it, a few. Sorry, no, go short. ahead. I was gonna say they have a few flavor bibles. They have the the vegetarian flavor bible. Mm-hmm. They have the fla- the original flavor bible, and they also do the same thing with wine. And do they have a version of the cocktail? I, not that I'm aware of. I'd uh, buy it if they did. I'll find yeah. out. I'll email Karen. I, not the, yeah, know. yeah. Let me know. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's another. There's uh, another book I was going to tell you about. Uh, Anne Ryan, the Fountainhead. So super philosophical book, right? And so, and you know, it depends on how how you what you take from that book, really. Because I mean, I could read that book five different times and take different things from it. But um, what's, the, what's one thing that stands out to you right st- now? Is is the love for something and the unconditional like will not accept anything else like so you know in the book he he was an architect and like he just everyone told him it was a bad idea or that it was you know this doesn't make sense but he loved it and and refused to compromise on it and so i think that's that's important in life can you drop uh the name of that book one more time and ryan the fountainhead and ryan's the the writer but it's the fountainhead thank you uh what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough um, the process of actually opening a restaurant is, is um, very iffy, and I, I find that they uh, fall short quite a bit. And on so, what specifically, so on a, on a lot of different things. One, I, I don't think they they budget the opening correctly. So everyone will tell you that they open a, open a restaurant. Um, one, it, it's it's going to take longer than you think, yeah. or longer than it's told to think. And I don't think they bring in the right processes or the right people to understand the processes. So, you know, especially the back of house, the training, I've seen a lot of openings yeah. and a lot of times it, it's so rushed because they're like, oh, we got to get the doors open. Yeah. We got to get the doors open. We got to get the doors open. Uh, and I, I think they miss out on that, again, that first impression of the yep. guests, you know, and fall short. Yeah. The, the, the most successful restaurateurs will pay, even if they've had previous success, will pay for a consultant to mm-hmm. open a restaurant because there are things you're going to miss. And, uh, you know, ultimately... I lost my train of thought. <laughs> what was I going to say? Um, oh, if you think you are going to spend too much money on a consultant or somebody who knows what they're doing to come in and help you with that, imagine how much you're going to spend if you do it wrong the first time and you have to fix all of your mistakes. Yeah, you know, It's going to be way more than a consultant the first I, time around. I don't think people really understand uh, the loss of revenue of the 
person that comes in during a, a, a kind of a shitty opening and they're like, mm, I'm probably not going to ever come back here. And, and that could be a loss First of revenue. That could be someone that's like booking parties for, you know, 80, hundred people at a time. And they could have brought you, I mean, they could bring you thousands of dollars. You just never know. Rarely people will give you a second chance. Rarely. Uh, and usually it takes three good impressions to have a loyal customer, a minimum of three returns. Uh, that's what it takes, they say, to have somebody. If they come back three times, there's like a 70% chance that they'll become a regular. Yeah. Uh, it's really important stuff. Uh, what is one thing uh, that you've adopted, some type of technology that you've adopted within your four walls that has had a huge impact on communication, uh, profitability, operations in general? Lay it on us. Um, so, uh, at least in, in my little cocktail world, uh, you know, I, I uh, started working a lot with dehydrators. And really what I've noticed is, you know, not only can I like, you know, put out like a cool little garnish or a cool little thing, but I'm also controlling my waste. And so, and, and preserving my waste. So anything that I would normally like throw out or, you know, get rid of, I'm, I'm actually... Give me an example. So, so we do like a lot of dehydrated um, limes and citrus and stuff. So, you know, citrus is probably one of the biggest wastes there is in, in the bar world. Uh, and so being able to, to preserve the, that waste uh, and be able to like slice them up, throw them on a dehydrator, they turn really black and, and look great as a garnish. And, and they actually have like a really cool like molasses citrusy flavor after that. So they're still edible and fun, um, but uh, very often, like that would just make it into the trash, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're you're wasting a so lot of that. Citrus whatever, what you're stuff. saying is, whatever you prep and you don't use in that day, dehydrate it and use it for garnish later on. So later on, you, yeah, you, I, can, I, you can add more value to that drink, that cocktail, to charge more for it. One hundred percent. Awesome, love it. This is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. Three things you know to be true. What would those three things be? Um. So you know, we've probably touched on most of these kind of throughout this uh this process, but um, I think it's important to train your replacement. Um, it was something that someone's told me early on in my, my career. And, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people are scared to like, oh, they're going to take my job. You know, if, if I train them, they're, they're, they'll just do better than me. But, you know, I think it's very important to train your replacement. And, and I think that it's, it's a bigger picture idea of like what you're doing for the, the community as a whole when you train someone to be yes. better than you are. Yes. I love it, man. That's number one. What's number two? Okay. Number two. And, and I mentioned this, um, hospitality is an industry it's a way of life yes. and you gotta live it you gotta you gotta live it you gotta breathe it you gotta in, inspire your your team to live it and breathe it and it's um it's infectious it really is infectious but you you have to you have to be the driver of that slap number three on us slap number three um have a and i guess this kind of goes a little bit to the the hospitality deal but like have a positive impact on someone each and every day. Look for look for the opportunities to have a positive impact on someone. Um, you know, it, it could be anything, but I, I can't tell you how many times I've, uh, you know, been somewhere and, and I've had someone have like a positive impact on me. I didn't tell them that they did it. And, you know, we never know like what's going on in someone's life. And, and so, you know, kind of touching back on, on the lady I made Irish coffee for, like uh, I would, if she would just left and didn't leave a note, I would have had no idea about any of that stuff in her life, but I, I know I had touched her life, 
you know yeah. and so i don't i think too often we we don't realize that the power we have I mean, we see hundreds of people a day and, and have interactions with hundreds and hundreds of people a day and, and and you know thousands to hundreds of thousands a month and year and and so throughout all those people um if you if you're touching someone a day i mean you could really like it's so much easier to think big picture of like how how you could change this world just by one positive interaction a day i'm gonna quote the great kanye west that that's a, <laughs> a questionable way of putting it uh too often people get the flowers when it's too they, they, it's too late to smell them right yeah uh, and i'm talking about when it's when it's too late to say that you have this impact on me if you if somebody says or does something that is positive let them know and the other thing is as a mentor, when you're when you're seeing somebody who's good at something, let them know they're good at it because that's how we find our passion. That's how we find our path. We don't know what we're good at. It's all relative to us. Yeah. We're just doing the thing. But if you, from your perspective, know what's good and what's bad, and somebody is really good at something, you're helping them find them path, their path. You can have you can transform someone's life by just saying, "Hey, you're really good at that." So yeah. powerful. One hundred percent. Just wanted to reinforce that. Um, Kyle Hilla, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to to share your knowledge, your story, your mentorship. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who do you respect and admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? So uh, Monte Hardy, uh, he's, he's a, uh, uh, an amazing bartender. I mean, crazy innovative in this industry. Uh, currently working with the 86 company. Uh, and so, um, I mean, he's absolutely phenomenal. Um, and, and, and someone I've always looked up to in this industry. Monty, look out. I'm coming after you, mm -hmm. man. We'd love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know how can we, uh, connect with you just, or just follow you or maybe come join your team. One of your, your operations here at the rest or the hotel. So I, I, I live and breathe the Statler. So I'm usually here. Uh, so I'm always at the Statler hotel in downtown Dallas. Um, uh, Kyle Hill on Facebook, uh, Ghostface Hill on Instagram. Come find me. Um, uh, I welcome all and uh, look forward to serving someone a drink. And I'm recording 11 interviews a week right now, so I'm not sure what episode number this is going to be, but head over to restaurantunstoppable.com. Uh slash whatever the, rep the episode number is i'll have uh the the number in the closing thoughts uh and you will find a, a summary of today's discussion as well as a, a link to all the tool services and books recommended and how to connect with kyle over there again kyle thank you so much there is no questioning you are unstoppable i appreciate it thank you cheers All right, there we go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value. Before I let you go, I have to remind you, please sign up for the Restaurant Unstoppable email list. That is where you will never miss an episode and you get the behind the scenes of what's going on here, where I'm at, what's on my mind, and what the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like, and you can have an influence on that. Don't forget to connect on social media. That's slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook and at Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C. A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. But the most important thing you can do to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this sucker with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.